0: Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. I think it would be so great in life that when we were facing uncertain situations that we could just say, Hey Alexa, you know, should I buy or should I sell? And then in about 48 hours, the doorbell rings, ding dong. And there's this beautiful package right there on the step with all the answers that you need right there, conveniently packaged together. Or wouldn't it be nice if you're in a season where you're trying to decide, should I go to college, university? Should I stay, continue to work? What should I do? Hey Alexa, what should I do? 48 hours later, ding dong, boom, there's the package with everything that you need to know. Or if you're in a season of dating and you're single, you know how terrifying it can be, especially to the point of the relationship where you start to say, is this the person that I'm going to marry and and spend the rest of my life with? So you say, hey Alexa, are they the one? And 48 hours later, the package is there, ding-dong, you open it up, and it's just a single sheet of paper with one word that says, run! And you avoid misery for the next <laughs> 10 years of your life. Wouldn't it be great if life worked this way? You see, regardless of what you believe to be true about Jesus, and regardless of what you believe for those that are at home online, here's something that connects us all when it comes to the future. How we embrace the future affects how we engage the present. You see, to the extent that the future is real to you, it will change everything about how you live right now in the present. Think about it. You see, what you believe to be true about the future affects how you embrace disease. How you embrace disability. How you embrace suffering. How you embrace the loss of a loved one. How you embrace death itself. How we embrace the future affects how we engage the present. Now, Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in life, you have two paths. We can take a path that says, this broken world, and, and even if you're not a, a church person or, or a God person, you'd have to look around the world and say, something ain't right. A, that something's broken. That things could be better. So one path says, well, this is it. This is the only world that we'll ever experience. And then when I die, I die. One path says, this is my body and it's broken and it's failing. And this is the only one that I'll ever experience. That's one path. Another path says, that the future is far more beautiful than anything I've yet to experience yet. One path says that the emptiness and loneliness that I feel is a permanent reality. And that that's just life. Life's just hard. I feel empty and lonely, and this is me. Another path says that emptiness and loneliness that I feel, while it is true that it's a harsh reality... It's a temporary reality. See, my hope today is to help us see that the resurrection is more than just this cultural celebration that we do every spring, that the resurrection is so much more than this this optimism, that if I just believe and if I just have positive thinking, then my life will turn around, that we celebrate the fact that he has risen, not for wishful thinking, but because we believe it to be true. And if it is true, it shapes the way that we live our lives. When the facts of the resurrection are clear, they can be a comfort to your soul. You see, for thousands of years, people have thought Christians are crazy. People think Christians are crazy today, and people think, thought that Christians were crazy many, many years ago. But they thought they were crazy for an entirely different set of reasons. It wasn't how Christians chose to dress. It wasn't about how they chose to engage with entertainment or their political views or the fact that maybe they had a megaphone with the poster board downtown in the city. No, no, no. People thought that Christians were crazy, the first Christians, men and women, they thought they were out of their mind because they willingly said yes to Jesus and many of them were beaten. Many of them were stoned. Many of them were crucified. Some hung upside down. Some burned alive. And so from the outside looking in, some would say, why would anybody willingly put themselves through that? And Paul answers that question. In his letter to the church of Corinth, he says, if we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. See, that word compel means to overcome resistance through an irresistible force. And in the Greek, they described this, this force as this, this violent storm that's building in life, that the pressure of the storm is mounting, and there's something within you, there's a conviction within you that compels you to move forward and embrace that resistance. You see, it's amazing what humanity is capable of when they're compelled by their convictions. In a room this size and in a room this diverse, we probably all have things that are different when it comes to our convictions. For some people, the thing that is your core conviction in life that compels you through difficult seasons is your relationship with your family. You would do anything for your family. You might even give up your own life for your family because you love them deeply. For other people, it's fame, it's connection, it's likes, it's groups, it's your social network. That's the thing that is one of your core convictions that compels you in life. And then for some, it's fortune. It's that next thing. It's that that next adventure that you're longing for, that thing that's going to make you feel better about about yourself and life itself. Your convictions compel you. But what's interesting is that as diverse our, as our convictions are, as we think about people in history, successful people in history, you think about someone like Abraham Lincoln who lost an election eight times before becoming the president that we know him to be. Personally suffering a nervous breakdown before becoming the leader that he became to be. Why? Because of a conviction that compelled him. It's amazing what humanity is capable of when we're convinced that something is true. So my question today is this, what was it for the men and women that compelled them to follow after Jesus? Even when they were staring death in the eye, what was it for them? Paul explains, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, the resurrection isn't just for those that feel strongly and think weakly the resurrection is for those that think hard and think well one pastor i served with had this this phrase that's really stuck with me through the years he says facts are our friends facts are our friends facts matter because sometimes we respond in life through our feelings and we're responding to something that is not true Think about it. My wife was telling me uh, recently, she was talking with some of our neighbors and they were talking about uh, an experience that happened in Florida. This this group took off and then they had to, to land again. And so everybody on the plane was shaken up. You can imagine going through that type of experience and you're thinking, I don't know if I want to get back on that plane again. But what this group chose to do is they chose to rent a car and drive from Florida all the way back up to New York. what's interesting about this is that statistically they had a greater chance of getting in a car crash and dying than dying on a plane. Facts are our friends. So what do we know to be true about the resurrection? If the resurrection is going to be a fact that brings comfort to our soul, how do we get there? A couple things. Number one, empty tomb. And number two, eyewitness testimony. If there was only an empty tomb and there was no eyewitnesses, then people would have assumed that the body was stolen, that someone took it. That was, that was in the dead of the night, there was this massive operation, and they stole the body. And at the same time, if there were only eyewitnesses and there was no empty tomb, then people would have said that they were hallucinating. But it's not just that there were there to, people there to witness an empty tomb, it's who was there. You see, culturally during this time, women were on the sidelines. And so if you were going to start a movement, if you were going to start a new religion, it's not women that would be at the center of the story during this time. And yet, that first Easter morning, who was there? Women. And it was women that significantly funded the ministry of Jesus. These things are true, and if you were making something up, these are the facts that you would leave out of the story. But it wasn't just the empty tomb, and it wasn't just the eyewitness testimony. It was the changed lives. You see, the disciples went from uh, being self-seeking cowards to self-sacrificing courageous leaders. Understand, the disciples were not like SEAL Team 6. They were a band of misfits, constantly getting it wrong, often not getting it right. So what changed for them? How did they have this newfound confidence? It was the resurrection. But it wasn't just the resurrection that changed the disciples, because you could say they had a lot of skin in the game. There was a lot of investment there because they spent a lot of time with Jesus. But the resurrection didn't just change them. It began to shape humanity, and it began to shape culture. Take a look at this. Emerging virtues post-resurrection. Things that weren't everyday household values until after the resurrection. Things like empathy, humility, self-sacrificial love, care beyond your family. Before the resurrection, you cared for your family, and you did for you, and you did for them, and that was it. But if you're going to follow after Jesus and say, I'm going to love the Lord God with all of my heart, soul, and mind, and he says that I'm going to love him by loving other people the way that he has loved me and the way that I want to be loved myself, if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to move beyond caring for my family, and I'm going to care for other people. This type of thinking, this worldview did not exist until Christ was risen. And now these are the values. These are household values that people assume. Well, of course, people naturally embrace these values. Not so. These came in to practice post-resurrection. And it's these values in which we get rescue missions and hospitals and parachurch organizations launched in a movement rooted in things that only existed post-resurrection. So let's review. Empty tomb, eyewitness testimony, and changed lives. And these are just some of the facts around the resurrection. Today, as you leave here, one of the things that I'd love to share with you is this resource. It's called The Case for Easter, and the author's is Lee Strobel, and the reason why I think you should pay attention to it because his story is this that he was a skeptic, he was a journalist, and he set out to say, I'm gonna prove these crazy Christians wrong, so I don't have to go to Easter or go to church on Easter anymore. I'm gonna do all of the research, and in the end, I'm gonna finally be able to look at my friends and family members that love Jesus and say, you are wrong. And you know where that journey took him? To the cross and to the resurrection, and he too became a follower of Jesus. My hope is that our church becomes the type of church where no questions go unanswered, and that we follow truth Wherever it leads. But those are the facts. How do they bring comfort to your soul? Because how are they just not another historical book to read? How do these provide meaning and significance to your life? Here's a question. How many of you have ever gone bungee jumping before? None. None. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, a few. All right. I see some hands. Here's the deal. I look at bungee jumping and I say, absolutely not. Why would anyone on earth ever put themselves through this? you think on the way down he was saying this is the best decision I've ever made this is awesome now when I think about the process of bungee jumping it's the whole it's just terrible to put a harness on your back and attach yourself to something that's supposedly going to save your life and then you come up to the ledge and you leap everything within me naturally says I'm not made for this this just feels wrong and I share this because I think sometimes when it comes to following after Jesus, that's what it feels like. Like, it's not, it's not natural to do this. That there's, there's something within me that just doubts. That, that there's some fear. That if I take the leap and follow after Jesus, it might cost me something. That it might start to change the way that I follow. It might change the way that I have to live my life. It might change my relationships. It might change my marriage. It might change my career. It might even change the way that I use my finances, and that is, that is terrifying. Because following after Jesus is, is uncomfortable, to be honest. Because when you say yes to Jesus, you start to deal with the scars of your past. When you say yes to Jesus, you deal with stuff in your childhood that just messed you up inside. When you say yes to Jesus, you start to shape how whether my parents were there or not there for me and how that impacts how I think about myself, others, God, and Jesus. It's messy. And for most of us, it's uncomfortable. I'd rather not put the harness on and I'd rather not take the leap. But for me, the reason why I have is because of the resurrection. If you take resurrection away from Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. But if Jesus is risen from the dead, it gives me all of the confidence I need because the promise is that Jesus is with me always, even after I take that leap, and as uncomfortable as it is, I can do it with him. Uncomfortable, yes, easy, no, but the promise is that he's with us, that he's present with us. Paul explains, he says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. But what's fascinating about this verse is that it's often used to have a conversation with someone that hasn't said yes to Jesus yet. But what Paul was doing is he was reminding those that have already said yes to Jesus that once you profess to Jesus that he is your Lord and Savior, that it's not a one and done thing that it's something that we do each and every day when we stumble on the ledge and say, God, I don't know if I can take the leap. The resurrection is what provides that comfort for our soul. He says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Saved from what? We're saved from the wrath of God. You see, what we believe to be true is that on the cross, Jesus took on the wrath of our heavenly father, to pay a, pa- to pay a penalty that we, desired, that we deserved to pay ourselves. That between us and God was this gap and that gap was sin. And that the, the simple definition of sin is that we fall short of this standard that God has for our lives and that sin separates us from him. And so the only way for us to enter back into a relationship with God is for Jesus to take on the wrath of our heavenly father And that's why he was put to death. And if he is risen from the dead, then all of those that place their faith in Christ are redeemed. That God now sees them the same way that he sees his son clothed in righteousness. This was the message that Paul was reminding them, that in the face of persecution, in the face of adversity, he says, preach this message. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But let's go back to where we started. You see, where I started was that wouldn't it be nice that if we were looking into the future, we could say, hey, Alexa, help me with this situation. And then in 48 hours or less, all of your answers are right there at your doorstep. I can't promise you today that your life will get better. I can't. I can't promise you that there'll be some sort of radical change tomorrow or the day after that, I can't. But what I can promise you is that for all of those that have received the gift of God's grace, I can promise you that your future is secure in Christ. That that is a guarantee if he is risen. And if we believe that to be true, that mindset will shape how we choose to live our life. And it'll become a comfort for our soul. And it's as simple as this, receiving a gift. Paul explains, he says, "'For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast.'" So for every person that has received the gift of God's grace, we can be assured that we are forever right with God, that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. Nothing we do today will affect the future we have with him. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I believe that God does the work within our hearts. He's the one that leads us to this place where we say, this is true, that I believe that that Christ died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried and rose again, that it's not a prayer that makes us right with God. It's God making us right through his son. The prayer is a response to the work that God has already done in your heart. But we do this as a moment to say, from this day forward, I'm following after you. And so if you've already prayed this prayer, you can just pray for those that are here on site and for those that are at home online right now that they would follow the Spirit's leading and what God is bringing to the surface and helping them see who he is. Would you pray with me? If you've not prayed before to declare your faith and confidence in Christ, it's simple. You might just say something like this. Heavenly Father, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that your body was buried and I believe that you rose Again. And then you might just say, Father, I need your help. Help me to follow after you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. It's in the power of your Son, Christ Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. And I would say that if you prayed that prayer today, I would love to spend some time with you before you leave. Pastor Wendell's gonna be up here towards the front of the stage. If you have questions, listen, I didn't go from zero to 60 as a follower of Jesus. There were many questions that I had, but there was a starting point. And for you, if you've started that starting point today, we wanna help you in that process. But I'll leave you with this good news. Years ago, the Apostle Paul was describing the future and, and what was to take place and the thing that we were looking for. I'm to go to the next slide, Duncan. And he was describing what awaits us. He says, when our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die. You see, if Jesus is risen from the dead, it's a comfort for our soul. And here's why. The wheelchair is not a forever home. If Jesus is risen from the dead, the disease is not a forever diagnosis. If Jesus is risen from the dead, the wounds of your childhood will be healed. If Jesus is risen from the dead, that abuse that you once experienced, you will be healed. You will be restored. You will experience freedom from shame. If Jesus is risen from the dead, wars will cease. Pain will come to an end. That is the conviction that compels us in life to overcome the resistance that comes our way as we say yes to Jesus. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then our eternal kingdom will never perish, spoil, or fade, and it's far better than anything that this world has to offer. The future is bright. The future is amazing if he is risen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.